Have you ever stopped to wonder and asked yourself the question, who were the first people who went out in the forest and found like fruits and vegetables and decided whether or not they were poisonous? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Like, I mean, let's just talk about mushrooms just for one example. Uh, apparently mushrooms are either delicious on pizza or they'll kill you. Like that's just kind of, that's the spectrum of mushrooms. And, but there was somebody who was like... I'll try it. <laughs> and I'm sure that it didn't go well sometime, right? Berries, like some berries, eat them. They're great. They're great. Put some, you know, whip on, whip on top of them. And sometimes like, don't eat that. Don't eat that. It will mess you up. Who was that? I'm going to tell you who they were. They were courageous. They were a trailblazer. We're talking about trailblazers this month. Someone who goes first. My wife and I are watching a TV show right now about the Apollo uh, space program astronauts. And these are the dudes who some scientists were like, I think we could go up there. Uh, we need an idiot. Uh, can we strap someone to a rocket? Is there any-? No, they weren't idiots. They were actually geniuses, brilliant test pilots, highly acclaimed military leaders, and many of them. And, and they were like, you know what? I'll strap myself to that rocket, uh, knowing good and well it might not go well. Brave, courageous trailblazers and think of all the things that we have to be thankful for because of that just the fact that we can like check the weather and have a good feel of what i mean it, it, there's a lot that goes into uh satellites and and travel gps on your phone all these things began when someone was like yeah we're gonna have to send somebody up there we need to figure out and the science that's happened and all these things trailblazers now, a trailblazer is someone who goes into an unknown area for the first time, all right? And so if you're thinking about trailblazers, you might immediately think about like, I don't know, a guy with a machete and he's walking through the Amazon rainforest and he's chopping down vines and is like getting like uh, malaria and stuff. And yeah, that's part of it. There's definitely a, a crazy adventure side of trailblazing. Not all trailblazing is like that. But the whole goal of a trailblazer is that someone will go first to make it easier for someone to go second. And then easier for someone to go third. You're going to eventually pave a, you know, a concrete sidewalk. And so you can take your grandma on her hover round to that spot. Because somebody went first with a machete. It's important to have trailblazers so that we can pave the way for other people to go after us. There's a lot of different ways that we could talk about trailblazing. Last week, Perry jumped into the idea of what it means to just follow a good leader. Who are you following? This week I want to take a look at a character trait of trailblazers that we're going to see in our guy, the Apostle Peter, that I hope that you can dig out of yourself some today. And that trait is courage. The courage to eat mushrooms. <laughs> the, courage, the courage to get on a rocket and go to outer space. The courage to follow Jesus the way that Peter did. And so this series started last week and uh, Perry did a great job just getting us rolling. I want to paint a picture for you of who the Apostle Peter was. The series is like, how can we be a trailblazer like the Apostle Peter? So we're going to follow his life and see this dude in the different situations he's in. But like, just to paint a picture of who he becomes, it was the Apostle Peter who got to be the leader of the original disciples. I mean, you have Jesus, and then after, them, after Jesus, they looked to Peter for guidance. He was a leader. Peter was among the very first trailblazers, men and women, who saw the resurrected Jesus first. It was his testimony and his boldness to talk about what he saw that made us understand that Jesus animated his own body after he had died and rose from the dead. That was the Apostle Peter who was among that group. It was Peter who preached the very first sermon in the book of Acts chapter 2 when the church first began. Acts chapter 2, we call that the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down among the apostles and people begin to uh, see God's works in amazing ways. Guess who got to deliver that sermon? Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. He's responsible for two books in our Bibles today. 
both named Peter. His legacy has outlived his time on this earth. I mean, there are, there are some names from our faith tradition history that are up there as trailblazers. Guys like Abraham, Moses, David, Esther, Isaiah, Peter. He's just listed up there super high because he was willing to be that guy. And to be that guy or that girl, it takes courage. So I want to talk some about courage today. If you've got a Bible today, go ahead and get it out, open it up. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 14. Uh, I told us all the way back in the beginning of January that I want us to become a note-taking church. And so what that means is I want you to bring your paper Bibles with you. I want you to bring a notebook. I want you to bring a pen. If you don't have that stuff with you, you can use these papers in the seat to take some notes. It's just an encouragement. Take some notes on your phone. Because something happens in our brains when we actually, uh, like put pen to paper and we're hearing things. You don't ever have to look at those notes ever again, but it just kind of helps you with that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's some over there by the door. You can also look it up on your phones or to be on the screen behind me. And while you turn there, I want to give you a couple pieces of background that's going to really line us up for today. First thing I want to do is talk a little bit more about Peter. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about his childhood. Perry mentioned last week that we can kind of deduce some things about his childhood. Like we discover him first as a fisherman working for his dad and his family business. And so, but what that teaches us is that he actually did didn't rise up high in the echelon of the academics and the religious core of the kids that were coming up. That would be an aspiration for a lot of young boys as they were coming up in, in Peter's village to maybe get to follow the, the local rabbi, to work in the synagogue, to get to read the scriptures on Sunday morning and things like that. For whatever reason, it looks like Peter didn't fall into that group. So he does the noble thing. He goes into the family trade. He's a fisherman. Um, he is uh, an unlikely candidate to become what he becomes. Quite frankly. In fact, if Jesus had never gone to his hometown and called him out off of his boat, there's a likelihood we have never heard the name of Peter. I mean, he'd be, a, he'd be one of millions and millions of people that we never heard their name before. So who is he? Well, first of all, I think it's talk about his name. His name, Peter, okay? Uh, that's actually not his given name. Peter was a nickname that Jesus gave him. We're going to talk about that. We're going to tell that story next week. So that'll be something that we get into. But the word Peter is a, from the Greek word Petros, which means rock. So Jesus calls him rock. And that's something we're going to talk about. Uh, Dwayne Johnson was not the first rock. This is, he, this is the original people's eyebrow. This is the apostle Peter. Uh, he has another name we see in scripture. We see uh, Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock or stone. Fun fact, more likely Jesus and his disciples spoke Aramaic on a daily than Greek. They probably were bilingual, multilingual. Most cultures, except for America, are. So uh, we're just pretty lazy. We're like, if you don't speak the English, then we don't talk. Uh, but like when, so Jesus most likely taught a lot in Aramaic and, and maybe called him Cephas to start with. So when you see Peter, when you see Cephas, same guy, but his given name was Simon. So when you read about Peter in uh, specifically the Gospels, he's going to be called Simon a lot. Same guy. This is fun. Simon uh, was probably one of many Simons in his little neighborhood. A lot of young boys are probably named Simon. A lot of people think that's probably because there was a guy named Simon uh, Maccabee, who, uh, Simeon Simon Maccabee, who was a revolutionary leader for the Jews. In fact, he, he would be like a George Washington character, a, Thomas Jefferson character in their culture because they were responsible, if you know about the Maccabean revolt, and this is kind of the whole story of Hanukkah and where that comes from and all that kind of stuff. There was this uprising where a bunch of Jewish leaders said to the Roman government, like, we want our independence. And so Simon was a leader among them. And so there's a lot of boys named Simon in this day. Now, I don't know if our Simon Peter was named after that Simon, but I have a strong feeling that he really looked up to that guy. 
even though it was generations before him. Because we know this about our Simon's political views. Uh, there are some major political parties happening, just like here in America. There were major political parties there in Judea at the time. You hear a lot about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of them was a group called the Zealots. And if you've ever heard of someone being called a zealot, it means that they're like, ah, all out. You know, it's the guy at the football game who's wearing no shirt and his whole body's painted. And like, he's a zealot for his team. A zealot is like all in. That actually comes from this time period where the zealots were a political party in the Jewish world. And Peter was a zealot. And the thing you need to know about the zealots is if during the civil rights movement in America, there were like peaceful protests and there were like sit-ins and there were like quiet. Let's just, the zealots were not that. The zealots would punch you in the face. They would swing a sword at your throat. They would kick you while you were down. They wanted the Romans out. And they would raise up all kinds of mobs and things and they would try to fight. They were like a little militia. The Apostle Peter was one of those guys. <laughs> Side note, this is one thing I love about Jesus. When you look at all of the apostles that Jesus had, you got Simon the zealot next to another guy. You ever heard of Matthew? Do y'all remember what his job was? He was a tax collector. Uh, tax collector for the Roman government. He was literally the man that Simon was trying to stick it to, okay? And Jesus gets the two of them together and says, uh, no, no, that's not how my kingdom works. You will be brothers. It doesn't all get worked out of Peter right away. Uh, there's times where he's always like going off at the mouth. And this one time he pulls out his sword, tries to chop off this guy's ear. Actually, he does chop off his ear. I think he was aiming for the guy's neck and missed. Jesus had to heal the guy. Simon was a hothead. He was brave. He was courageous. But Jesus wasn't trying to use all of that to start a revolution. In fact, well, he was, but not the kind of revolution that Simon Peter wanted. In fact, it's very likely that the thing that drew Simon Peter to Jesus was the fact that he thought Jesus was there to start a political revolution. Many times they called Jesus out like, hey, what are you going to challenge like become king? Are you going to be a general? Can you lead us? Can you lead us against the Romans? And Jesus is like, that is not what I came here for. I came to build an eternal kingdom. And so there's no question that Peter was bold. He was confident. He was courageous. But Jesus said, I have different plans for those skills. Let me show you how that works. We're about to get into Matthew 14. I'll give you one last piece of background on the passage we're getting into. So we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 on the very tail end of a crazy day. He has just gotten done with one of his most well-known miracles. He's fed over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. So you can account for women and children on top of that. Perhaps 10, 15,000 people. He feeds them by the miraculous multiplying of a little boy's lunch. Some fish and some bread. Maybe you're familiar with that story. That's a day's work right there. Woo! Did it. Jesus is exhausted. He's ready to go for a walk and pray up on a hillside. And the disciples are coming with him. He says, actually, I need you guys to get in the boat. And the Sea of Galilee that they were in, uh, it's called a sea because in Hebrew there's no word for lake. But it's really a lake. It's a big lake. And he's like, I'm going to meet you guys right over there. I'm gonna, you guys cut the corner off in the boat and I'm going to walk. And so he goes off. And when we meet our friends, the disciples in the boat, we're going to find them in some pretty rough seas out there on the Sea of Galilee. It's the middle of the night. What are they doing out there? And Jesus shows up in an unexpected way. So even if you know this story, read close and see if you see anything new for yourself this time. Here we go. Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side where he dismissed the crowd. 
And after he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was a considerable distance from the land, being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. (laughs) It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Okay, so let's pause the story. Uh, Have you heard this story? Likely a lot of you have, most of you have. If you haven't heard this story, this is a great first telling for you. I hope that you really can pull a lot out of it. There's a good chance you've heard this story because I've taught on it here lots of times. And as I look out, I see mostly Venture Church regulars, okay? Here's the deal. I've taught on this, and when I teach on a passage more than once, I try to find a fresh perspective because of my ADD. And I just want to get something new out of this thing. Um, And there's a couple of things that jump out to me new this time. I actually was talking to a friend about it earlier this week. And he pointed something out to me that I'd never noticed before. So this is the piece I want to give you. This is in verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. That's the thing I never noticed before, that he made them get into the boat. That that word there could actually be understood as he forced them to get into the boat. Now, maybe I'm drawing too much out of this. I don't want to put words in scripture that aren't there, but that's an interesting phrase. He made them get into the boat because maybe they didn't want to get into the boat. Do you know what time it was? It was late. It was late. Uh, many of them had grown up right there around the Sea of Galilee. And they probably knew. I actually watched a little documentary on the Sea of Galilee, Galilee early this week, just doing some research. And I learned that even to this day, uh, warm currents, air currents from across the sea come to their side of the sea in the, in the late evening and cause really rough waves almost every single night. I'm guessing maybe our guy, Simon Peter, was like, uh, we should walk. It's going to get rough out there. It's kind of late. And it says Jesus made them get into the boat. Isn't that interesting? Maybe they just wanted to walk with him. He's like, Jesus, can we walk with you? He's like, I have had enough. Uh, Moms, dads, you've been here. Kids, we're going somewhere else right now, okay? Daddy needs to go on the hill and pray. (laughs) So he's going to go up there and do that. Get into the boat. Whatever reason he got into the boat, uh, here's here's a takeaway for me. Part of following Jesus, part of following Jesus. I mean, there... Without this, you are not following Jesus. I need you to understand it. One of the major things of following Jesus is that very often, we are required to do things that he tells us to do, even when we might not understand why. Is it possible that right now Jesus is telling you to get into a boat? I don't want to overplay the metaphor, but like there's a thing, it's pulling on your heart, and you're like, ah, ah, it seems risky. It seems uncertain. It seems unclear. And maybe over and over this thing keeps banging in your head like, but I feel like I should do it. And if you feel it, get in the boat. I'll show you why later. Now, I can't answer that question for you right now, but that's something to pray about and talk with your friends about. And I'm just curious, has God been asking you to get into any boats lately? That you have been going, eh, I don't want to. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. And maybe do it even though you don't see the full reason why, but you, maybe if you feel pretty confident that it's being asked of you. Uh, courage, we're talking about courage today. Courage often requires us to decide to do uncertain things. In fact, I would argue that if it's not somewhat uncertain, it requires zero courage. 
I mean, for you to go to your favorite restaurant and get the thing that you always order and pay exact change because that's what you brought, oh, you're not living on the edge much, okay? It's just you being you, and that's fine. It's cool to do that. We can live in a comfort zone. But if you want it to require courage, it's gonna, there's a correlation in our spiritual walk between courage and faith. There are moments when we are feeling asked to do things that we don't fully understand, but we feel that God might be drawing us in that direction. Bruce Wilkinson is a Christian author, and I want to quote something he said once that's pretty strong. He says that we need to attempt something large enough that failure is guaranteed unless God steps in. Maybe you've heard this phrase, but God. He's like, yeah, if on my own I do this, it's not going to work. But if I feel that God is in this thing, the only way for me to know that I'm walking in faith is that I step out knowing that it would fail without God. Our church has done that a number of times through the years. Where we've taken big steps and we just said, guys, we're just going to do this. We really, our leadership, our elders, our staff, we prayed about it. We're like, this is the thing we need to do. Buying this building, I'm going to tell you, was one of them. <laughs> step by step, God shows us the value of being in the boat. What, what's the value of being in this boat for these guys? Let's go back to the story. Uh, they did get into that boat and something insane happens. And I don't want to downplay this thing. Jesus walks on the water. Let's just look at it. Verse 26 says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and they cried out, it's a ghost. Uh, yeah. I mean, like what else? I mean, what, what do you think it is? It's there's no one supposed to be out here in the middle of the night. And so they think it's a ghost. It's an ancient superstitious culture. No reason for them to not think it's a ghost. And But then Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And every time I speak on this passage, I got to come to this line right here. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Because like, if you need to write anything down today, this is it. Matthew 14, 27. This is your passage. Because this is great advice in everything. This could be your prayer in any uncertain time. That you learn to find Jesus in the time of fear. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And there's many times when it's like, oh, yeah, it's dangerous. It's not that Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to pad you up with a bunch of bubble wrap and you're going to be fine for your whole life. That's never a promise that we get from him. But what we get from him is his presence, his strength, his wisdom. Take courage in his eye. Don't be afraid. Take that in. Jesus is walking on water. They're terrified. And he said, don't worry, it's me. And as we get to verse 28, we finally see our character Peter for the first time in the story. Uh, this is Peter, Simon Peter, the zealot, the fighter, the loudmouth, perhaps the most experienced fisherman in the boat also. He grew up right over there. I'm positive that Peter could have in that boat at any time spun around and been like, my house is there. This is his stomping grounds. And there's one thing he knew better than anybody on that boat or as good as any of them is how deep this water is and how much people shouldn't be walking on it. Okay, <laughs> like Peter gets this situation. But here's the thing about Peter. Peter's a doer. We're talking about courage today. We're saying, how can we follow Jesus like Peter did? Peter's a doer. He's not a sitter, arounder, and looker. That's not Peter. Peter's like, what can I do right now? Some of you can relate to that. I'm guessing he was pretty extroverted as well. I don't know what his like Enneagram number would be. Some of y'all could tell me. And he's ready to show his allegiance to the cause. And so this is bonkers what he does in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Can you imagine me and the other dudes in the boat? Like, it's a ghost. If it is you, come to me in the water. Say, what? What are you doing, Peter? Like, we don't talk to the ghost. <laughs> we don't talk to ghosts, Peter. Bad Peter. 
But there was something about it. I love what John chapter 10 says about Jesus. He says, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep will know my voice. Now, I'm just wondering if there was just something, some connection that Peter had. When he heard Jesus' voice, he was like, that does sound a lot like Jesus. But if you were in this boat literally with Peter, <laughs> and figuratively in this boat, uh, I think Peter saw something that the other guys didn't recognize. And this is something I want us to, to, to hold on to. Okay, so we're standing in the boat. We're rocking all over the place. There's a ghost out in the water. We're terrified. Uh, this guy's peed his pants. It's a mess, okay? And then Peter says, if it's you, call me and I'll walk out to you. What does Peter see that they're missing? You know what I think that they're missing that Peter sees? That right over there, Jesus is standing on the water. Like, let me explain why I'm saying this. Because I mean, you, you might be like, oh, yeah, isn't that the whole story? No, like, Jesus is standing on the water. If you and I were to go do something, and I was like, hey, try this. And you're like, I don't think I can do that. I'm like, sure you can do it. It's like, nobody can do that. And I was like, oh, yeah? Watch. And then I do it. You're like, oh, Chris just did it. Must be possible to do it. Jesus is doing it. That's what everyone else is missing. Jesus is standing on the water. Everybody's like, no, it's a ghost. And Jesus, Peter's like, actually, I think he's, he's out there. I want to do that too. And Jesus' whole thing to these guys, they sit around a campfire every single night sharing fish and bread. And I feel positive because he says it over and over in all of his teaching that he tells them, listen, if you want to know the kingdom of God, you've got to follow me. You've got to do what I do. And Peter's like, hey, boys, I think we're walking on water tonight. Now, I don't know if that was Jesus' goal. Jesus probably knew what Peter was going to, I don't know. It was not the goal of anybody else. Lord, if it's you, call me out. I'll come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on then. And then Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. What Peter understood that I want us to understand today is that the water is where Jesus is. He saw that Jesus was out there. Can you see where God is active in this world today? Can you see it? It's hard to see sometimes if we get down this, the, the death scrolling on our social media and we get so down when we listen to the news and our friends can convince us that the world's at an end. But I'm going to tell you, they're wrong. God is very active in this world. I see it in people's lives every single day. If you need help seeing God active in this world, come talk to me. I want to tell you about a few stories that I've seen recently. But if you open your eyes and you just be looking for it, God is active and he's out there and he's standing in the storm and he's working in the storm and we want to hunker down and hide inside of our boat and wait for the storm to pass. Storms don't pass. I mean, one storm does, but another one's right behind it. Have you been paying attention? But out there in the storm is God at work. And what Peter does, he says, I want to go where Jesus is already at. Where he's already working, where he's already stepping on the water. So my question is, if you know some places where God is at work, what are you doing still in the boat? Get out. Go to those places. I love that Jeff came up here to talk about rice and beans. I love to have seen what's happening through the ministry that he and his wife just recently took on several months ago. And see the people that they've been able to inspire through that. And if all you're doing to see God work in your life is to come here for an hour on Sunday mornings, I'm going to tell you, you're missing out on a lot of what Jesus is doing in this world. Go out there and be with those people. Do that work. 
And take the power within you. If you know Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Savior, you've been baptized in his name, forgiven of your sins, you have the power of God's Holy Spirit working with inside of you. Take that with you to work with them who have that too. Multiply the power of God's Spirit in that space and bring God's kingdom near to that spot. Pockets of heaven, all over Wilmington, all over New Hanover County, all over North Carolina, all over the world. Go to the place where God is at work. Don't just sit here waiting for someone to bring it to you. That is Jesus' great commission to his followers, that we go into the world and make disciples. And Jesus saw that. I mean, sorry, Peter saw that. He's getting tossed around the boat. Everybody's terrified. And he's like, actually, it doesn't look that bad out there. Jesus can do it. If you know the story, you know it didn't last long for Peter. He steps out of the boat. I don't know how many steps he took. I don't know what it was like. I don't know if it was like, you know, back to the future on a hoverboard or if he's like ankle deep in the water. I have no idea. I'm sure it was exhilarating for a moment. But then, verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And I imagine he had like a smirk on his face. If you had a good loving dad, I hope you had a moment with your dad like this. Who like, he saw you do something real stupid, but he knew you were going to do it. <laughs> and he just looks at him and says, you of little faith. Why'd you doubt? This is the moment I want to leave you with. Because... Next it says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, Jesus, saying, truly you are the Son of God. I want to tell you something. When, when we take steps of faith, when we take steps of faith, failure is a real possibility. Okay? Because you're human. And maybe you get scared. Maybe you give up. Maybe you back down. But the payoff is worth it. Because when you step out of that boat, you get to walk with Jesus. And Peter may have sunk, but guess what? He didn't drown. I got you, buddy. And he was picked up by Jesus. And I don't know what that moment looked like. Like, me and Perry were talking about it yesterday. Like, did, did, like, did Peter get to walk back to the boat? That would have been cool. I don't know. It doesn't say that. Did he get, like, a piggyback ride? Did he drag him through the water? I think that would have been funny. Just drag him, throw him up there. I don't know. But he did get back into the boat. And let me tell you this. Getting out of the boat is risky. Getting out of the boat is risky. There are storms out there. But there's risks of staying in the boat that are far worse. The number one is that you might miss out on holding the hand of Jesus. Those other guys in the boat didn't get that moment. They got to watch the loud mouth redneck fall down and make a fool of himself. But I guarantee you, the next night at the fire, they were like, man, I was thinking about getting out. I really was. I was going to do it. I but then you got out, and I wasn't sure, like, if we could all go or, like, they wish they did. Because even if you sink a little bit, Jesus is not going to let you drown. There's all kinds of risks to not getting out of the boat. You risk unrealized potential. You risk living a life controlled by fear instead of walking in faith. You, you risk looking back and asking yourself, what could have been? You risk never praying big prayers and seeing the big answers. You risk never making an impact on someone else's life. You risk never experiencing the thrill of success through Jesus that can only happen because he was there. 
You risk never experiencing the comforting hand of a loving God as he reaches down and clasps your hand and lifts you back up and says, walk with me. I got you in this. Jesus said, come. And Peter did. I asked you a minute ago, is there a boat that God is calling you to get into? Metaphors can be confusing. Because I also want to ask you, like, is there a boat you need to get out of? I'm a little too comfortable. I've been in this boat so many times. And as I talk to my friends, I've got a good buddy who uh, planted a church in, in a, a suburb of Los Angeles. And it's a, it's a Spanish-speaking area. He's a Mexican guy. And, like, a lot of the, um, a lot of the people in this community are, are felons with a record. And, and uh, it's, it's a rough neighborhood. And I remember hearing his story. And I remember saying, I wish I could be as faithful and as courageous as you. And what's funny is some people might look at me and be like, didn't you move to Wilmington to start a church? I'm like, yeah, I mean, but there's always another step of faith. There's always somewhere else you can go, and it can only be done with courage. Stepping out, even though it's scary, it takes courage. It takes a willingness to look foolish sometimes. It takes a servant's heart to see a need and just like going to do what I can to fix the need. Don't complain because the government's not doing it. Don't complain because our church doesn't have a small group just for that thing. <laughs> Go out and do what you can to do it and invite some people to come with you. It takes reaching across an aisle or across the train tracks to go be with people who are different than you, who have a different background than you, different worldview than you, different ideals than you. But because they're a child of God creating his image, you love them enough to go be with them and help them through whatever they're going through. It takes courage. It takes seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trusting that he's going to provide us with the rest. And it can be scary. It can be very scary, especially when the storms come. But Jesus is calling you to step out of the boat. He's calling you to take courage. I want to ask you a question. Just got like two little things I'm going to share to close up. First one is this. Here's a question. What would you do for God if you weren't afraid? You've got to look at this question again. What would you do for God if you weren't afraid? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter was willing to give up his career as a fisherman. He did. Peter walked on water in the middle of a storm. He ends up giving his life for the sake of the gospel. Do you think there were times where he was afraid? Uh, yeah, it says it right there in this story. He was scared, so he sunk. And there are other times where he doesn't know what to do. When I think about the steps that I would take if I weren't afraid, I'm going to let you know immediately, I know there are some. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Every week I love to give us a challenge, uh, something that I hope you can take home and do this week, you know, like a tangible thing you can do. And this one was hard. I actually got on the phone with Perry yesterday and I was just like, or it was Friday, and I was just like, what? man, I don't know what the challenge for this is. I can't tell you to like go get in a boat, and wait for a hurricane, get out, see if it works. Like, by the way, that's not the challenge. <laughs> um, but this is what I landed on because I do think that it's scalable and everybody can go here. So check this out. This is our challenge this week, guys. Identify... 
one step of courageous faith that you can take this week. And take it. So I can, you know, sometimes our challenges are like, read three verses from Matthew this week and write down your favorite word. Like, that's a very tangible thing and everyone can do the same thing. This is going to be different for everybody. For you, it might be you've been following Jesus for a really long time, but you realize that, like, your faith actually doesn't align with your actions all the time. And, and, you, and you haven't dug into your faith much. In fact, a, the world is changing, if you haven't noticed. And you actually don't know how to wrestle with some of these new things that are coming at you. You know what a step of faith could be? To dive in with somebody and say, can we study this together and see what, is, what does God say? How do we respond to these things that I don't understand? That's a step of faith. Let me give you a specific one you might have. If you're a mom or a dad or you have kids in your house, maybe you're a single parent living at your home. Um, do you know that our kids need us to lead them? Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, in our culture saying that the, the biggest thing that our kids need is our affirmation. That whatever you do, we're going to build that up. Um, that can be true. It can also be a lie. Uh, because you're the adult with life experience, convictions and faith and even if your faith is very small. Your kids need you to lead them. And so often I see kids talking to their parents and it's like, who's in charge here? The kids are in charge here. I challenge you to take the step of faith to lead your kids to Jesus. Even if you're still on that journey yourself, that's fine. Go together. That's actually some of the most beautiful steps. I challenge you, if you never pray with your children... One time this week, pray with them before bed. Like one where you actually talk to God. I mean, you can do a pre-memorized prayer. That's fine. This does great. But may, hey, uh, mom, mom's not good at praying, but we're going, can, can we try it together? Dad doesn't really do this much, but can we try together? And just talk to God. <sighs> Did you notice I didn't tell you to sign up to be a missionary in deepest, darkest Amazon rainforest yet? No. Your first step is to lead your children. You can do this. Crack a Bible open with them and start somewhere. And they say, I don't understand this. You can say, me neither. I don't know. Let's find something to do this together. Step of faith. What does it look like for you at work? What does it look like for you while you drive down the street? Can you get your temper under control for one minute while you're driving? There's a lot of things you could do to step out in faith. There's one specific one that I want to offer to maybe one person in this room. You might be the only one that needs to hear it, but please listen if it's you. I love that I was able to say that Jesus is where the water is in Peter's story. And uh, there's a moment that all of us can have with God in the water. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you made it your lifelong commitment to be a Christian? Have you, as a consenting believer, decided to get baptized into his name? That's what we see in Scripture. That when people, I mean, every conversion in the book of Acts, in fact, in the New Testament that I'm aware of, when someone comes to Christ, at some point they are baptized in his name. This is a crossing over. This is like a wedding ceremony between you and God. We're told in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter told us this. They said, how can we get right with God? What should we do? He said, well, you should repent of your sins. That means turn away from your sins and face God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a moment of spiritual death. You go down into waters and it's like you're being laid in a grave. But then you're raised to walk, as Romans chapter 6 says, to walk in newness of life. Have you made that decision? Have you done that? I want to encourage you to get out of the boat and go meet Jesus in the water. 
Maybe you need to talk more about that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute, and I'll walk you through it when we do communion. Maybe you got questions. That's fine. This is a great place for questions. Our whole church model is like, bring all your baggage and your questions. You don't have to check them at the door. You don't have to come in here looking too good for anybody else. Bring it. Let's talk about it. But identify one step of courage of faith, a courageous faith that you can take this week. And take it. Let me pray with us today.